you've got building, cooking, gardening, uh, hunting and fishing. I love these types of, of hobbies and, and crafts and trades because they are timeless to humanity. In other words, humans have been doing these things for centuries. And I just love that they're still such a huge part of our humanity, despite all the technology that we now have. And with building and with building that this is kind of what we make content about. And so we feel like we understand that a little bit gardening a little bit. My dad has a a big garden. He's really good at it. And we've shared that a little bit cooking. We know nothing about my wife does. She's a a master cook. I, I know nothing about it. Hunting and fishing. I appreciate it. But point is today we're talking about gardening and wow, do we have the ultimate gardening mentor teacher for you today, which is Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening. He has put together a mountain of content, and it's dense, and it's specific, and it's inspiring, and it's he's got books and podcasts and videos, and he's really, really helping people get involved with gardening um, with no excuses. In other words, if you don't have a lot of space, no problem. That's how he started. If you, if you live in a big city, doesn't matter. You can do it on a patio. And I am just really inspired. I want to run out in my yard right now and start taking care of my plants better, dig some holes, put some in the ground. Um, I I'm really uplifted by this conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't have a garden or if you don't have a plant or if you never have, you got to listen to this and I hope you will um, do, I hope you will get involved even in a tiny, tiny bit, because like we discussed in the conversation here, there's a lot of value that can come from it. It can really add some meaning to your life. And Kevin's a great teacher. So um, I'm a big fan. We'll link to all of his stuff in the description with no further ado, Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening. You got a, a mountain of content and material that you've put out over the years. It's almost hard to know where to start. Um, but I guess the first thing that I'm thinking about is the books that you that you wrote. Could you talk about that? What did it take to put those together? How much work was it? I, I think you've got two now. Um, yep. How does that work? Yeah, the books, it's so funny because the books are, without a doubt, the hardest pieces of content I ever wrote or created. Uh, and you know, they've done well. I think maybe we're, we're touching something like 40,000 copies sold across both 40, 45, a couple different languages, but still you think about that versus thinking about one YouTube video that does a million or two views or something. And you're like, wow, like the reach on these platforms is so crazy. But I mean, the process of, of, of getting a book done is pretty arduous. I mean, you have to get a book deal unless you're going to self-publish so that means you're you're dealing with a, a publisher. You've got your sort of publishing structures set up, uh, and then it, it's it's weirdly hard to put stuff in a book format. Harder than I thought it would be because you have to be so precise. Like they're thinking about images on the page, um, you know, words per page, like all that kind of stuff. It kind of forces you to be way more meticulous about things. That is personally mm-hmm. not my strength even though I used to, I mean, I'm a voracious reader and I used to work at a publishing company. Uh, so it was, it was an interesting process. I'm glad I did it. Um, I'm not like itching to write the next one though. 
Yeah, that really puts it in perspective about views versus sold copies because the amount of hours and time and money you put into it for the number of eyeballs or people educated, the ratio is probably a little low <laughs> compared to some of the other it's, things you've done. Man, it's crazy. Like, I mean, obviously I, I've had a, a couple of videos do extremely well and just the ad revenue on those videos, if you were only looking at it financially, obviously a book, I mean, there's something to holding a book in the hand and mm -hmm. maybe you impact someone way more when they're out in the garden, like reading that book than they ever will on a video. So I'm not trying to compare one another that way, but, um, you know, the, even, even the royalty structure on a book, it makes it hard to want to do it that much. Yeah. Um, were you always, uh, writing, you just mentioned that you read a lot, but, and I know you wrote a lot of blog posts for your, for your website, which we can talk about, but maybe before that were as a kid, were you writing a lot or how, how did you get so comfortable and, and skilled writing? Um, no, I don't think I wrote a ton as a kid. Um, mostly just reading and thinking, I guess. Uh, and then eventually you have to put it down to page. I mean, you, you get an editor if you're, if you're writing a book, but the articles on the blog, for example, I I'm never writing pr like proper nonfiction prose. You know, I'm, I'm mostly writing like explanatory educational things, which for me is you don't need to be as good of a writer to, to write that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you know, if I was to write like a, I don't know, like a historical biography of someone or, or, or a fiction book, I, I feel like I'd fall flat. But I think when you're writing about how to do something, it's kind of straightforward, at least for me. Yeah. It's also like whatever mission you're, you set out to accomplish. In other words, if you, if that's what you're setting out to do, you can do it. I, I have a feeling if you set out to write a, you know, a biography or something, you'd probably figure out a way to, <laughs> to do it. What, what do you read? What kind of things are you, um, are you reading or have you read in the past? So I think like when I was a kid, it was all fiction. Like it was every R.L. Stein Goosebumps book that he wrote, uh, every Boxcar Children series book. I think I was reading, I mean, I was, I was reading like to, according to my mom, like to an insane degree. Like there's a video of me at f 15 months or something, like reading that Are You My Mother book. Do you remember that book? It's like a really um, famous children's book where yeah, with, little... the, with the, the digger, the bird. Yeah, finds the, digger. the digger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think her perspective was that I had memorized it, but I, I wasn't actually properly reading it. But I was like flipping the pages and like saying it out. So I think yeah. as a kid, it was all fiction stuff. As I got older, um, in my early 20s, it would be a lot of like, I guess the best thing to call it would be like self-help type content. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. I don't know, the power of now or any books in, in those realms, then, then a decent amount of business stuff. And, and lately it's just been back to fun and back to fiction and, and maybe like some historical stuff. Wow. Um, are there business or self-help books that really made an impact that, that we could put in the notes that you feel like that book really was good for me? So the, it's going to be such a cliched answer here. There was a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss in 2007. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I think the book, the value within the book now to me is, is basically zero. The only thing that book did is it told me that you could do something that wasn't a standard job. Yeah. And so for some reason, it was reading that book that made it make sense to me. Um, at the time, I was playing online poker for a living while going to school, going to college. Yeah. And I, when I read the book, I was like, oh, I just have a high paying job right now. I don't have a business. 
and I could have a business. And so that book just incepted me to like think about a different path, not saying that that some of the principles in the book necessarily make make perfect sense. It was just the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, I, I remember when I read that book also feeling like that was one of the first books where the, it felt like the author was speaking to me in a much more natural, casual mm-hmm. kind of a way. I felt like I hadn't read a book quite like that where it just felt not uh, as formal somehow. I, I don't know what exactly it was. And that actually made it much more compelling for me. I was like, Hey, this is just a, sounds like a, buddy of mine who's yeah. who wrote this down it felt like a common man kind of a thing which made it really it I felt like a long blog post don't you yeah think? Uh, yeah it did it's something yeah. and now that's pretty common i think there's a good amount of writing like that like email newsletters are are usually kind of like that just a little more punchy and and um yeah it's it's at the time though that was the first thing like that i can remember having having read so yeah that's cool yeah um did you ever read just on this topic because it's the exact opposite and it's probably equally as maybe not cliche, but um, normie, which would be how to win friends and influence people? Oh, dude, I was going to say that it, because that's I the exact gone... opposite. Like when you read that, like the the way it reads is like from the 30s or whenever it was written. And that, so I also enjoy, I enjoyed it for that reason yeah. also. But it felt like a time machine. Dude, the, the crazy part about. I it's I'm almost embarrassed to say like the books that really had a huge impact on me are so sort of pop and basic I guess but like that that's like one of the most popular books of all time right but yeah. as a kid I mean I think I, I had some experiences in my life that made me grow up like very um in my own head and like independent you know and and like not not antisocial or not like super odd I guess but but certainly not like well socialized. (laughs) Uh, And so like reading that book, I was like, Oh, you can actually like change your, your impression that you make upon people. It was Mm -hmm. these books. And and maybe it could have been any other book read at that time that had that same message, you know, but something about that when I was like, Oh, like I should actually work on this skill set. A lot of these things that I read early on in the early twenties was like, Oh, I can change how, you know, social I appear, how friendly I appear in a good way, you know? So that was a huge one for me too. I think I've read it three times. Yeah. I remember a lot of things on that, in that book stuck to me. And one that I, I can, that I'm always reminded of is about remembering people's names. And Mm -hmm. I'm, when I read it, I'm, I had the same experience, probably a lot of people where I always thought, well, I'm just bad at names as if, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's my hair color or something. And, but now I, when I meet somebody, I'm, I'm always remembering, okay, don't forget to remember when they say the name, try to remember it. It's just like this little tip that's extremely practical and super, uh, it's valuable, you know, all, for all the reasons in the book, but, mm-hmm. um, a couple little things like that. I should probably read it again. That was, it was a long time ago. And I, that may be the only major thing that I have left rattling around, but definitely a one, different, yeah, go ahead. Well, so the name one I, I remember overusing for a period of time, I'd be like, oh, like Scott, like that's amazing, Scott, you know, and yeah. then I I, t- <laughs> oh, yeah. I toned that down. But then the one that another one that stuck for me from that book was um, there's just no reason to argue with people. Uh, and, and that was like a thing I loved to, to do. And so I think it's it took me a little bit longer to, to make that change. But now it's mostly, you know, hey, like could be right. Like I, I just have no real cares to to argue with people and, and it, it seems to make things a little smoother. Um, do you have experience teaching or speaking in front of groups or to what do you attribute your ability to sp- speak and communicate really 
clearly the way you do? Um, I think if I had to pin it down, I would say when I got out of college, uh, my cousin and I were living together and we were both you know, just kind of trying to figure out what to do post-college. He had a job. I did not. Um, so I was in a much more serious sense trying to figure out what to do. But he was trying to like find some recreation time. And we found this Toastmasters group, which is a public speaking club uh, on Tuesday nights. And he's like, hey, why don't we just go to this thing? And so I was like, you know what? I literally have nothing else to do. So so I'll go, I'll go with you. And we ended up being in that group for, I want to say, four years. And by the fourth year, I was the president of the little chapter that we had. And that was a really interesting experience because if, if anyone listening has never done it, you're doing prepared speeches, off the cuff speeches, and then you get critiqued by another speaker on your speech, like immediately afterwards. And so people would say like, Hey, you know, you, you tend to use um and ah a lot, or you say, you know, at the end of every sentence, or you don't use enough, like you sound like a robot, you know? And it was a really interesting experience because you kind of just got immediate feedback on something you never would if you don't do something like that. Uh, and then after that, it was a little bit after that, maybe a couple of years, but I did about 18 months of improv comedy classes. Uh, so twice a week for like two hours a day, a session. And that's more off the cuff. And then that forced me to be like more animated and more, you know, a little bit more alive, so to speak, because I could be a little robotic sometimes. And it, it totally removed any um, like stage fright or like camera fright because the stuff you're doing on an improv show is just ridiculous. And so talking about gardening on a camera then after that is pretty simple. Man, I'm so glad I asked. And maybe that maybe you've gone through all that on your channel, but a lot of times you see somebody who's good at something and you just assume that they're born that way. And that's just, you know, the way it is. But you can't see all the time and work someone's put into something. And wow, four years doing Toastmasters and improv, that would definitely uh, help explain how you develop mm -hmm. that skill. Yeah, it's weird because I wasn't like trying to get better at it. I just thought those things were interesting. And then the result afterwards is that it looks like it worked out pretty well for being able to talk on YouTube videos, you know? Yeah. Do you think that's more, if someone was trying to decide, I, this may not be the best strategy, but do you think that's more valuable than being good at writing and practicing writing? Or is the speaking and communicating more valuable? Or is it just apples and oranges? I mean, I guess it's, I guess it, it depends on in the context of what goal, you know, like if you're trying to build some sort of platform on the internet, then I, I would say it's probably better to be good at, at video and, and speaking and communicating. But certainly, if you're trying to be a you know, an artist or like a, an author or something, then, then writing makes a lot of sense. I think what writing does, it helps you think clearly. And then the speaking and communicating helps you communicate those thoughts. So obviously both would be ideal. Yeah. Even like 10 years ago before video was as big as it is now on every platform, writing was pretty much the way to go. But these days, man, I find myself on, well, even if I'm on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or whatever, but I just, the, the video draws you in and it's, you can listen to it while you're doing other things. So I think it really is probably has the upper hand today in terms of being useful skill, but I don't yep. know. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think TikTok's proven it. Like everyone's up about video and the shorter, the better, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although man, TikTok is also, it's kind of disturbing because it, it is forcing things to be so dense and so it's not all silly, but mm -hmm. it really, the silly and the funny and like the, that stuff kind of 
cuts cuts through, you know, and then once the it's like you make a mistake and you watch one like I don't know, like a prank video, and then that's mm-hmm. all you see on there, and so they all just like get, feed yeah. you more. Yeah, so it's really man, I I'm I deleted it after a week of try- I kind of got it as like, hey, let me see how this works. And after a week, I'm like, this thing, I can't handle it. It it takes too much time, and I don't think I can uh I don't think I can compete with you. You've escaped. People. Most of us have not escaped yet, but you have. <laughs> well, I've got four kids too, so it's sort of like my yeah. time is is pretty much all earmarked. Um, we better talk about gardening a little bit, and I hate to make you like cover the basics, but I just have to because our audience and the people listening to this show are generally uh, a lot of weekend warriors, but people who are building, craftsmen, tradesmen, guys who like tools. Sure. And I really feel like gardening is like a it's like in the same family it's got a lot of similarities. There's tools. It's like an ancient craft. Mm -hmm. Um, there's extremely, you know, wise and skilled that almost seem like gifted, you know, gardeners and such and everything in between. Oh, and there's a lot of misconceptions and just like with woodworking or blacksmithing where a lot of people would love to get involved, but are like, I don't have a shop. I don't have $10,000 worth of tools. Therefore I can't do it. That's not true with most trades and crafts. And I know that's not true with gardening and you've really kind of helped people realize that. So maybe just go through the basics. I know a lot of people live in a city. They feel like they don't have space. They feel like they don't know what to do anyways. They've tried it and like killed a lot of things. So maybe talk about like having not a lot of space or experience or maybe yeah. even enough time and can, and can people and should people, um, get something started in gardening? Well, certainly I think everyone should. I mean, our, our whole thing at Epic is teach the world to grow. I, I, I feel that like, I mean, it's kind of like what you guys do, right? Like you're teaching people real productive skills, uh, and, and gardening certainly is like real productive skill set that actually produces produce. Right. So it'd be amazing if we all did a little bit more of that. Um, and yeah, my, my, my story is starting much like the situation you described. Like I, I was living downtown for a while. I only had a balcony before that. I didn't even have a balcony. And so, you know, if you're, if you're looking at really small spaces, you're looking at container gardens basically, which is how I did most of my stuff, like plastic, plastic pots or grow bags, which are like a sort of like a fabric pot type thing. I think the thing most people mess up at the start is which is totally understandable is you just don't, you just literally don't know how plants grow. And so you're just doing stuff, you know, you're just doing what you think you heard that you're supposed to do kind of like any other trade at the start. Uh, and then, then the plant just doesn't respond well and it, and it dies on you and then you get discouraged. And so I always say like, start relatively small, pick a plant that you actually really care if it gets to harvest. So like, don't grow a radish if you don't like eating radishes just because you heard they were easy, for example. Um, so maybe like, you know, pick your favorite plant and actually try to figure out how that thing grows. Like, what are the mistakes you could make? What, what goes well? Like, does it need fertilizer? Does it not? Uh, and then just keep like a really small garden and, and build it into your routine. Like, you know, have your morning coffee, walk out, take a look at it. A lot of gardening is like, it's, it's like watching and then reacting. It's, it's not a lot of, it's not necessarily a ton of acting. Um, cause the plant's mm-hmm. not. You know, like you, like if you're going to build a raised bed or something, Nate, it's like you're building it. You're taking the action to build it, and then once it's done, you know you built it. With with a garden, the plants all grow themselves. You don't really control that. It's really the genetics of the plant and then the environment they're in. The only thing you can control is the environment. So you just have to give it the environment that a tomato wants or that lettuce wants. 
and don't give it the things it doesn't want. And then it automatically grows. And that's kind of like the sounds obvious, but it, it is when you think about it from that lens, um, you're caring for a living thing, right? Like you don't like grow your dog. You just give your dog food, water and play, you know, and it, and it grows itself. Yeah. Um, I like what you said about some growing something that you want or you, you're interested in. I one of the first plants I ever grew that I cared about was a pepper plant, like a might have been a jalapeno or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I was amazed how quickly I got like attached and like proud of that plant. I was showing it to all my friends. I was like, could not wait to like eat one of these peppers. It like very quickly like became a part of my, not really my identity, but I was just really proud <laughs> of it. You know, yeah, just this one yeah. little plant and it went well. And I like did a few more and, and kind of ever since I've always had a, a few plants here and there, I haven't really got involved in it, but I guess for someone who has not, um, gone down this road at all it's worth even like what you said just getting one or two plants and just kind of getting involved because it's kind of is like a a new like having a pet or a a Mm -hmm. new um, aspect of of life and satisfaction that is not really comparable to anything else it's not the same as building something because like you're building woodworking you you really are blood sweat and tears pouring into it but it's amazing with with plants how much work they do themselves where you go out after being gone and out of town for the weekend and you're like, Whoa, mm-hmm. look what, look what you did. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, gone. I, I just got back from like my first true vacation in a while. I went to Hawaii for eight days and I got back and I was just amped to come see the garden. I walk into the front yard and my sunflowers are all actually bloomed. My first nectarines and my first, um, apples and apricots that I've ever grown. Cause I, it's hard to grow here. And I just put those trees in recently. We're ready, you know? And so like coming, coming back to that, it's just like, it's a good way that you put it. It's like, there isn't actually anything comparable to tending to a garden, the experience of it, of like going from seed all the way to harvest. And then you're actually consuming (laughs) the thing that you grew. Um, Yeah. It's very satisfying. I think that's why you see it in every culture, in every, you know, creed and race across the world. And it's actually one of the weird spaces on the internet, at least I noticed that like people across the political divide don't necessarily like, sort of put that aside for the mm-hmm. time that they're talking about gardening. Yeah. There's several of those, but you know, another one, like most crafts are that way. Also, you know, culture, cross cultures and countries, people can really respect craftsmen, each other's work. But um, in particular, blacksmithing has that component because you got these guys like my dad and and his friends who are old school. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you describe them? You know, blue collar um, mm-hmm. tradesmen who like building and they lo- they've loved tools and been involved in the tools their whole life. And there's also a different type of people who get into blacksmithing who are into who come to it from like vi- maybe even video games or yeah. and like Lord of the Rings and like. A completely different um, background. Not that you know, craftsmen can't like Lord of the Rings or anything, but a more counterculture instead of a traditional culture. That's what it is. There's there's a there's a, a route into blacksmithing from like a counterculture sort of mm-hmm. a um, <laughs> space. I saw and, a guy. And, and these people meet at blacksmithing conventions yeah. in the same room, and it's like, let's talk about blacksmithing, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, th- it reminds me because I, I recently saw a guy whose whole job is as a blacksmith, and he just makes absurd video game swords and that's all he does 
maybe maybe you know of him, maybe you don't. I'm not sure. I think he's in like the UK or England or somewhere. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But he's this guy's just making like massive swords and then like throwing them down and chopping watermelons and stuff. And I think he sells most of them. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, he rolls up to a blacksmithing conference. Your dad's <laughs> there and they're, they're probably talking about technique, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Gardening's definitely that way as well. Um, you were in Hawaii recently and you're in San Diego now, which both of those and I mean, those are just growing. That's Garden of Eden type gardening area. Both of those places. Um, I, I think there are people who don't garden because they think I live in Phoenix or where mm. I live, it's freezing cold. So will you just dispel those the myths around um, where you are and, and whether or not you can garden, um, yeah. you know, if you're in whatever, you know, Canada or, or yeah, um, I mean it. So the myth, the myth is like 20% true where like when I was in Hawaii, for example, you're, you're really not going to be able to grow a class of plants. Like, you know, your stone fruits, it's just not going to do well there, but you've also now unlocked growing any tropical fruit that you could pretty much dream of. And so it's just shifting. That's the first thing. It's like, you're going to shift the type of crops you can grow to some degree. Now, San Diego, which is why I live here right now, or I grew up here, but that's why I'm staying, is San Diego can kind of flex and grow almost anything because of our Mediterranean climate, which is only like, I think we're the only area in the USA that has the Mediterranean specific climate that sort of has this like free pass to grow whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a grower who's on our team who's up in Vancouver. We have other people who are in, you know, Phoenix or in in the Northeast and everyone has a garden and it the the interesting thing is your techniques are going to change a little bit uh certainly your timing changes a lot um gardening is is ruled by the seasons of course and if you're in an area that gets a freeze or gets a true winter well now your season if you think about the year as like a line right your season just just comes in on the on the end so like when your frost starts and when your frost ends Sure, you can grow something, but it's probably going to be indoors, or you can maybe mm-hmm. start some seeds and get them ready for spring. But you can't plant them outside. Whereas, like someone in my climate, I could do that all the time. And then if you go to like that Hawaiian climate, like you were talking about, you can definitely do it all the time. But you could do it so well that some crops won't even work. And so mm-hmm. you can certainly have a garden in any climate. Uh, it just depends on the timing of it. And I would say the colder the climate, generally, like the more precise you have to be. You know, if you're up in you know, Montana, you've got maybe 120 days to grow stuff. So the second your ground's workable, or you can actually put stuff outside without it freezing, it would be much better if those seeds were already started and you had like, you know, this tall, you know, foot tall tomato plants instead of the seeds. So it's just a little more planning on the colder side of things. And then on the warmer side of things, it's like, you know, for me, I, I can't grow really classic crops that well, like broccoli, cabbage, you know, cauliflower, unless I plant them literally at the end of fall and grow them in our winter. And mm. so it's just like weird adaptations, but you, you can do it no matter where you are. Are you ever, one of the, one of the downsides to San Diego is there's not as much space. It's, you're not going to get like a 10 acre uh, flat yeah. piece of land to you yeah. know, get a tractor. Are you ever tempted to, you know, pack up and go somewhere where you could really you know, yeah. get some equipment and move some dirt and make your own, you know, massive amounts of fertilizer and that kind of thing. Yeah, actually, I'd love to chat with you guys sometime about that because Oregon is on the list of things I'm looking at. But my progression, like I was telling you guys earlier, was it was like, you know, small apartment, downtown yeah. balcony. Now, 
the the where Epic Gardening as a channel really sort of blossomed was at my old place, which was a small front yard garden, uh, yeah. maybe. 15 by 30 feet. And now to me, I have a mansion, which is uh, about a third of an acre. Yeah. And most, most of it's workable. Uh, but I think, okay, well, what's the next phase? The next phase is probably going to like three plus acres and that you're right. That's not happening in San Diego, nor do I think even if I could, I would want it to, because I would yeah. want to test out a different biome, like growing in a, in a different zone would just be interesting. So yeah, I, I've, I've been looking a lot actually at like Washington, Oregon, Idaho type areas. That's cool. Well, in case people, I'll link to this, but they have to see your your home garden place now. You said third of an acre. It's amazing. It is. It's got to just make your neighbors smile so big to see what was once you know a, a small house with a bunch of you know lawn or mulch. It was bad and before, that, yeah, yeah. And now it's just got to be the biggest feature in the neighborhood. I would think it's just it's got to just make everybody so happy. Yeah, I think I think maybe now it does. For a while, it was in progress, you know, and yeah. in progress stuff never looks that good. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's nice to have have sort of rehabbed that house. I bought the house in 2020 in May. It was like peak of the fear of pandemic, you know. Yeah, uh, and so it's crazy to think there were like me and four other offers trying to get this spot, and oh, it's. Wow it's really unusual to have as much, even a third of an acre untouched with a thousand square foot home on it was like, I, I've never seen that in San Diego before. So the second I saw it, I was like, okay, this is obviously the next chapter. Yeah. There's five offers back then. If you did that last year, it'd be like a hundred and someone would pay a hundred thousand over, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like I got really lucky with that. And then I looked at the house on Google um, street view, like back in the day. And it was like, kind of, it was kind of a dump, honestly. Um, and so it's cool to have, kind of fixed it up and at least yeah. the outside well of all the uses for a third of an acre that some another buyer could have done you know somebody could have been running like their masonry business off of that property and it'd be covered in trailers mm -hmm. and scaffolding and stuff but gardening has got to be the best possible um use um have you ever gotten involved with bees or do you have bees on your property or is that something you've like dug into yet or is that a is that separate animal so i actually have a really good friend of mine who lives effectively down the street, um, who is a female beekeeper. She's like an educator and she's kind of out there. Girl next door, honey is her name, but she, she's like, look, you need bees, but wait until most of the structures in the gardens are sort of set up because you don't really want to disrupt them once you put them in. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I was, I was like, Oh man, I really want bees though. Like, why can't I just put them in? And then now looking back, I've moved stuff around so many times. It just would have been a hassle. Um, yeah. So I want to have them, but I think I'll probably end up getting them either next spring or, or maybe at the earliest this winter. Separate from possibly taking the next step to a couple acres someday, um, what what are you working on these days? Is there anything that you're really excited about at Epic Gardening that you're um, that you haven't shared yet? Let's see. I mean, you know, we're always doing a lot with product these days because we've sort of evolved from a uh, classic you know, YouTuber, I guess, um, to, to actually offering and, and inventing products now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just had a meeting yesterday with, with some of the team and we're coming out with like, well, at least what we think are like just better seed starting equipment and like an entire line of stuff that we think is just stronger, performs better, less waste, all that kind of stuff. So on the product side, we're trying to, we're trying to invent some cool stuff in gardening. And then on the grower side, I think, um, we're putting in, more fruit trees, um, 
a little more structure to the garden and uh, finally actually building out. Actually, I should probably chat with you guys about this because my carpentry skills are maybe a one out of 10, maybe a two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I want to build a like a really cool composting system. For now, the the, the daunting, dauntingness of that task has, has made me not do it. And so I'm yeah. going to do a relatively simple setup. Um, but yeah, getting a big composting operation here is, is pretty key. So that's coming up soon on the channel. What, what would that look like? Like a structure to hold and like, uh, like fluff mm-hmm. up the compost, some, some type of contraption like that. Yeah. Like, so there's a guy on YouTube, Charles Dowding, who's like a gardening legend. And I actually went to his house and, and saw his setup. And what he has is he has a five bay. So it's basically a five by five or five cubic foot sort of five by five by five, right? times five, all right next to one another okay. um, with posts. And then he he actually stood a roof up on top of it to kind of protect it a little bit. Because what you do with composting is you throw all your raw materials in a bay. You got to turn it every so often, but it slowly breaks down. And then what he'll do is he'll migrate it down the bays so that by the time you get to the end, it's like perfectly finished compost. Oh. But his his innovation was like to actually make that a structure and so it looks like it, it doesn't look like a sloppy part of your property. Yeah. And at least for me here in San Diego, I've been rainwater capturing off of all my structures. Uh, and so putting the roof on that, that's, that's a significant amount of square footage for a roof that yeah. I could then use that water to like maybe passively irrigate, do like trench irrigation on the berries or, or whatever. And so yeah. to get it to be a structure like that, of course, requires some carpentry skills instead yeah. of just like putting some bins in, in a row. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's really cool. Well, we should definitely talk and help you plan that out. And, um, you know, I wanted to, I didn't, I wanted to have my dad here, but I'm going to have to prepare him a little more. He has a garden and Mm. they're really good at it. I don't know if you've seen it. They have a big garden, him and my mom, and they've done it for a long time, but they aren't, um, I should say they like everybody, they are always having questions and, and scratching their head. Like, why didn't this work? What should we try next? So, Point is, um, I'm gonna maybe have him like make a big list of uh, all his questions and happy to first, answer. Yeah. First, I'm gonna send him to your website. That's one of the things about gardening, and you you'd be the guy to speak to about this. All the information is in is out there. It's maybe epic gardening aside because you guys, this is kind of what you're doing is making it easier. But it's always kind of been tough to find like the actual answer. I've even called into radio shows before because oh, really? sometimes it's felt like at least I could just get it right from somebody who knows, you know, this, this area, but what, how do you go about, um, maybe let's say before you even write the blog or when you're, when you're trying to solve something or figure something out, what's your process for answering these questions? Do you go just kind of dig into Google or do you start with, a mentors and people close or how would you recommend someone like my dad who has garden questions you know what would be the first step to solving them yeah you're you're, you're totally right like back in the day i was only doing like hydroponics gardening back then because i had no space and and that was even more esoteric to find in information on the internet it would be in like a a pdf on a university's website or something and you got to read the abstract you know and you're just like okay like I mean, fortunately, I kind of liked doing that, but um, obviously most people don't. Um, so yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is like, if you're thinking about plant care, there's only so, there are a lot of dimensions, but there are only so many, right? So, you know, if you're thinking about, let's say strawberries, you've got, um, you know, there are types, so you kind of have to know what type you're working with. Um, with certain plants, those types might be more um 
more broad, like, like tomatoes, you have indeterminate tomatoes or, or determinate tomatoes. And then you have like the, the type as far as like cherry or Roma or, or beefsteak or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like the variety of the plant you're growing. There's where you are in the world, which really it, it, it should be the first place that you should start. Um, you, you can even type in like your zip code and then say hardiness zone, and it'll tell you what your hardiness zone is, which is, is kind of helpful, but it's not super helpful. Cause all that really tells you is the average lowest temperature in the year. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to understand your, your climate at a deeper level than most people do, especially when they start gardening. Um, and then from there I start thinking, okay, well, if something's going wrong with my plant, what could it be? Like, what are the, what are the ways a thing can go wrong? It could be too hot, too cold, too much water, not enough, too much fertilizer, not enough, or a lack of a specific type, uh, mm-hmm. a pest, a disease, or perhaps some sort of like weird environmental, like growing problem. And so in my head, like if I'm walking out in the garden, I go, okay, well that does, there's some damage on this plant. It, it doesn't look like a nutrient thing. It looks more like a pest thing. And then I, if I can't ID what the pest is, I might then Google, you know, tomato pest that does this type of bite or whatever, you know, try to like really dig in. It is hard to like collate all that info in easy spots. Even at Epic, we're always kind of struggling like, okay, well, you could put the whole universe into this article or you could just try to strip yeah. it down. And so that that's the weird part about gardening is there's so many variables. It, I think that's sort of a function of, of why it's so hard to get those answers. Uh, and it's why you see like these, there's these people out there that are trying to solve gardening with these apps, like planning apps and solutions apps, okay. and they never quite hit because there's just too many things to think yeah. about. Um, so I'd say if you ro- if you want like a really easy answer, you can actually call uh, your county extension agent, which is like kind of a old timey service that the government offers. But oh, there wow. are master gardeners out there that are literally that's what they do. Like you can call them and say a very, very specific question and they'll just go look the answer up and say, well, we, we think it's this. Uh, and you can call them. So if you really want to get personalized advice, I'd do something wow. like that, or maybe even just wow. walking into your local nursery and just chatting. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. and it, and it, sh- you didn't say it, but I will Epic gardening. You guys have done a really good job at helping solve this problem by, by boiling down the format and like the readability and the titles and organizing and so that i'd say your your site is really helping in this uh, department um and it's there's a lot on there too it's kind of it's it's actually quite impressive i really got to salute you what you've built over i know it's been probably a mountain of work but what a what a mountain of content and and material that you guys have put out over and you and your team over the last several years and yeah wow um and it's been a ride for sure (laughs) yeah it's been it's been pretty amazing to um see i so um, Kevin, thanks so much. I'm going to be in touch because like I said, I have some ideas here. Yeah. Um, maybe we could work. It'd be fun to do something together. Like I said, maybe it's a compost thing for you or maybe somehow we get you a oh, that'd be so fun in my yeah. dad's garden, or I could even get you some footage from his garden if you want to utilize it in some way um, for your audience. I don't really know what, but it'd be I fun to about, like, have some what, what kind you- of collaboration. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what do you think about the idea? I know there's like some other really prominent YouTubers that do have gardens, like Jerry Rig Everything. He built a garden. Um, yeah. I've thought about doing like reviewing other YouTubers' gardens, maybe oh. going there. Of course, that'd be fun. But like yes. just react reacting to the gardens of other YouTubers, I think it would be kind of interesting. Um, oh, that's so a- yeah. What if, what if I, we could film you even like a five minute thing where my dad would, 
basically speak to your audience intro intro and like show and tell his garden and then you take it over and could just like do whatever you want with it but um yeah you know that 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 would be kind of cool then he could kind of he he actually in fact i think we released a garden video a few weeks ago he did so oh no way okay but it's only like a it's just like a small kind of like you know part of what we're putting out but it's a part of his life so he he's filming it and putting it up there but i think that's a really good idea there's I think you're right. A lot of, especially in the, um, the, uh, not really homesteading type, but well, certainly among them, but even just among the craftsmen and the builders Mm -hmm. and most people who are involved with tools and the trades and timber and all these things, people, it's pretty normal to have a garden. Yeah. Yeah. There's (laughs) there's some, there's some sort of overlap there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It comes with the territory because these types of people are, they like to solve their own problems. They like to use tools. They like to work with their hands. They like to build things. And it just, it's just like a part of that lifestyle. Um, oh, you yeah. Know, having, having a garden. And, and so it would be, you, you really know, what, you cool. know, what would be interesting, Nate, is if that, that, I love that idea. I would love the idea of, cause your dad has such a powerful command over talking about tools, just waxing on a, on a particular type of tool, like a hammer. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting, like, I'm not that I'm not super old. So there's certain gardening tools like I don't even have an interface with, but there are, there are some really interesting ones I have. It'd be cool to do some sort of collab of like, if I sent you guys some, some interesting tools and like your dad took a look at them. Cause I think he, he'd probably be interested. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a great idea. Let's, let's, uh, let's hop on, on a call someday when you're in San okay. Diego traffic or something Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and we can <laughs> brainstorm, but I would really, I'd love to, um, be involved there. And Kevin, we'll link to your website and your YouTube channel. You're also got a beautiful Instagram account. It's, like I said, it's kind of impressive and mind blowing how much uh, good content you've got out into the, into the world. So I hope you keep it up. We're big fans. We're cheering you on. And I'm, I really appreciate you taking time out of your, uh, work day to speak to us and our audience here. Hey, thanks. I, I, I can't tell you how many of, of your guys' videos I've watched over the last years. So it was cool to, to get the message to come on. So I appreciate it, Nate. All right. Well, next time I'm going to have my dad here, but I'm going to have him like prep all of his garden questions and <laughs> hit you like lightning round. And I'll right. t- we'll make sure he knows that a lot of times knowing how to find the answer is half the battle. So in yeah, other words, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to know everything like off the cuff, but we'll totally. give it a shot. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Well, thanks again. We'll catch you next time. And uh, everybody, uh, check out Epic Gardening on YouTube, Instagram, and his podcast. And we'll catch you all next time.